invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. And once you find Colossians chapter 3, maybe put a ribbon in there or your finger or maybe even a bulletin and also find Ephesians chapter 5. Our primary text is going to start in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 through 21. But we'll look at Ephesians chapter 5 as we unpack this topic for today. Uh, and always remember, your table of contents is there to help find any of the books of the Bible. We've been continuing a series of messages called The Path. And we've been looking at the critical steps in every believer's walk with Christ. Uh, we started by roping a path. And you can look across to the, the wall there and you can see where we've been thus far. We started a few weeks ago with the idea that belief is our starting place on the path. And all of us begin with the place of placing our trust and our faith and our hope and our full belief in Christ as our only means to be saved. It's the starting place for everyone. But as you begin on that path, you follow to the next stage with this being baptism. That first obedience, that first step of saying something publicly that's happened privately. The outward symbol of something that has happened inwardly in your life. Followed by beginner Bible. And last week, I hope you enjoyed a, an exploration of how the Bible came to be and what the Bible contains and how we are to let the Bible impact our lives. And I'm so thankful that many of you have your Bibles today. That was one of the applications of last week's message was to when you come to worship, bring your Bible with you. Well, today, I want to go further in uh, to a topic that's probably the, the most critical of this whole series. Uh, not that belief isn't critical, and not that baptism isn't critical, and not that the Bible isn't critical. But I want to speak with you today about something that impacts your faith either in a way for thriving, or it impacts your way, your faith, in a way as an obstacle. In many, many ways, your home, your house, your marriage, your relationships within the most important family unit can either help your faith thrive, or it can cause your faith to stumble. I want to speak with you today about building up your home and building up your home in a way that would be honorable to God. There's a new store here in E-Town. Maybe you've been to it. I know my family has been the last two Sundays. It's called At Home. Anybody been yet? Oh, you guys got to check this place out. It is a lot of fun. Uh, it's basically a home goods store, a decorative furnishings for every corner of your home. Uh, we've gone the last two Sundays, and it's, it's in the old Kmart location. So maybe today you might be taking your mama out to a restaurant, and you can see it back there. Some might even go to the Olive Garden. We call that the OG in our house. It's a very popular place, but it's right back there. You go in and you just see everything. Uh, decorations of all sorts. Things that are a little crazy and things that are a little calm. It's, it's got 
things for the living room and for the bedroom and for the bathroom. It's got things for the patio and, and things that you wouldn't think you would need. It's got decorations of all sorts. It really gives the appearance that anything you could ever need in your home, they have to sell. But friends, let me tell you, there is nothing at the at-home store that can fill your home like faith in Jesus Christ. There is nothing at the at-home store that can change your marriage like faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing at the at-home store that can guide you in your parenting and in your discipline and in your correction and in your teaching of kids, no matter the age, like faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing that impacts your home, your house, that most critical piece of family you have, like faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith must start at home. Faith must start at home. Your home, your house, cannot and should not and must not be a place where faith isn't flourishing and faith isn't impacting every single decision, relationship, and attitude. Let me say this to you, men and women, brothers and sisters. Your home is your greatest mission field. Your home is your greatest ministry opportunity. Your home is your greatest chance for building a legacy of faith. Your home is also the hardest place to show love and kindness. Your home is also the hardest place to show forgiveness and grace. You can show more love and kindness, more forgiveness and grace to a stranger in China than you can to your spouse in the kitchen. You can often show more kindness and love to a homeless person in a big city than you can to a kid that won't clean their bedroom. I didn't get an amen on that. I thought maybe... A, I really even put a little spot there in my notes. I thought amen worthy right there. If you're a follower of Christ, your home should be the safest, securest, strongest place for your faith to grow. But you know what I have found? In my own life, in the home I grew up in, a home that saw marriage and divorce and remarriage and divorce and remarriage and divorce, and I'm not joking, Five divorces, six marriages. What I saw was a home where faith struggled. Faith had a hard time taking root. Now, praise be to God. The home I lived in, grew up in, is nothing like the home that now exists. God can revolutionize any family at any time by any way possible. Amen? God makes things that have been broken for years whole and wholesome for His glory and His great name. But sometimes the home is not a place of security and safety. It's not a place of strength. 
It's a place of stress, of strife, of fighting, and of fear. Faith must start at home. This morning I want to share from Colossians 3 because Paul, as he speaks to these new believers in the city of Colossae, he knows they're new in their faith. They've all come out of the the former way of life where they were worshiping idols and worshiping pagan gods and worshiping statues and things that of no value. And Paul is helping them grow in these early stages, the early parts of the path. And the family is one of those areas that he wants to speak to because he wants the families of Colossae, the families of the Colossians, to look different than the families of any of the others that live around them. He wants them to understand that there are roles and responsibilities within the family unit. And so he doesn't parse words. He doesn't shrink away. He just goes at every category of the family unit, of wives, of husbands, of kids, of fathers. And he just speaks one truth white after another for each of those responsibilities. And that's where I would like to go. If you're single and unmarried, if you're young, listen to what God would have you be. If you've come from a place of brokenness, listen to what God's plan can be. If your family has gone through struggles and strife, listen to what God's hope for you is still to be. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul writes, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Whatever you do, men, whatever you do, women, whatever you do, kiddos, whatever you do, if you are a follower of Christ, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Words, deeds, actions, attitudes, behaviors, Anything inside the home, whatever you do, whoever you are, whatever role you play, do your part in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let me just say this. If you have a family, give thanks for your family. Because I can find you a generation of kids in foster homes and in orphanages in our state and around the world that would die to be in your family. As crazy as your family might be, your family would be the best place they'd ever been. Remember to give thanks for your family. If you are married, give thanks for your spouse. If you have kids, please give thanks for your kiddos. My wife and I know of a young lady that's having her first Mother's Day today, 19 years of age, and her baby only lived eight months. 
your first Mother's Day, and it's the day that you're going to grieve the loss of your first baby. If God has been so gracious, you give thanks for your family. Amen? And there's lots of families who are estranged today. Lots of families who won't get a phone call. They won't get a card. They won't get a present. They won't get a meal. Because there's too much distance, too many years, too much pain. Friends, you give thanks for your families. You give thanks for whatever form they come in. You give thanks for whatever shape they've come to be. You give thanks. Whatever you do, in word or deed, whatever you do, give thanks through the Father for your family. But then Paul speaks specifically to categories or responsibilities in the home. And I'm just going to take these one at a time. And don't think just because this is Mother's Day, I'm going to start on the ladies first. Paul did it. Blame him, okay? He went to the wives first. He says in verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Why is there a nervous giggle all of a sudden? I don't know. What's going on back there, huh? <laughs> Just wait, fathers and dads. It's coming, and I promise you'll feel the heat on your side a little bit more. Have your finger in Colossians 3.18, but also take reference of Ephesians chapter 5. This is where we need to complement both halves. Ephesians is also a letter by Paul, and it's also instructed to a group in the same vicinity. It's the bigger city, Ephesus, the smaller city, Colossae, the same region, the same country, the same historical timeline. And he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24, these words to wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Look down in verse 33, same chapter. However, let each one of you, that's husbands, love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Submission has a lot of connotations. So I just put it aside, not because the Bible puts it aside, but because in our day and age, we can't hear it properly. We hear domineering, submissive, wife in the house, no voice in the marriage, no influence in the relationship. That's not a thing of what it means. But for some reason, American 21st century folks can't hear it any other way. So let's just put that word on the shelf for a moment and let's use the word respect. We all understand respect. Ephesians 5:33, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Ladies, wives, any of you who hope to be married, any of you who are married, let us say this all together. Your call from God's Word is to respect 
the husband, the man that God has brought you to be with. And respect looks like many things. It includes respect in public and in private. It includes respect in front of their friends and in family. It includes respecting them for their leadership and their service, their words and their actions. And hear me clearly, it does not mean only when they're respectable do you respect them. Because in a minute, I'm going to call men to love their wives even when they're unlovable. And wives, I'm going to call you to respect your husbands even when they're not worthy of your respect. The great marriage classic book, Love and Respect, by Dr. Emerson Edridge, was subtitled so well. The subtitle of the book, Love and Respect, is this. The love she desperately needs, the respect he desperately wants. The subtitle of the book is actually worth the whole book. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. The love she desperately needs, the respect he desperately wants. I have never found a godly woman have any trouble respecting her husband if her husband was a godly man who loved her like Christ loved the church. And I have never found a godly man have any trouble loving his godly wife as Christ loves the church when she respects him as unto the Lord. Do you see the, do you see the connection, the cycle? When she receives the love she so desperately needs, he receives the respect he so desperately wants. And when he receives the respect he so desperately wants, he has no trouble providing the love she so desperately needs. Love and respect. Ephesians 5.33 However, let each one of you husbands love his wife as himself and let the wives see that she respects her husband. It's a beautiful mystery how God has uniquely woven men to need respect and how God has uniquely woven women to need love. And men can love women with the most amazing love and in return they can respect the men with the most amazing respect. But it's a cycle. Anytime the love gets out of whack, the respect gets out of whack. And any time the respect gets out of whack, the love gets out of whack. There's a connection that the two have. And so ladies, if you are a spouse, if you are a wife, let me ask you to do four things to show respect. Never criticize him in public. And you can criticize him in private all you like. He may not like it, but sometimes he might need a little critical, constructive criticism. But never in, pro in public. Never, ever in public in front of his children, in front of his friends. And let me ask you ladies to do something. Never complain about him to your mama, your daddy, your sister, your brother, your best friend. Complaints from your lips never go to anyone else but to him alone. That's respect. Jumping on the phone and fussing about your worthless sack of blah, blah, blah is the most disrespectful thing you can do, whether he hears it or not. 
Third, speak in specifics, not in generalities. Men hear things very differently than ladies hear things. You hear things in specifics. We only hear things in generalities. We don't have the ears to hear necessarily. So when you say, you never provide for our family, you never pay us any attention, you never do any chores, all we hear is disrespect, disrespect, disrespect. Because actually, we do provide some for the family. We do a chore from time to time. And we do pay attention to you if you're so inclined. But when ladies speak, they often speak in broad generalities. But men only hear disrespect, 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 disrespect. Last, I would encourage you ladies to tell those men in your life you're proud of them. There are no more... You can say, I love you, baby. I love you, dear. And men feel it. But whenever a woman looks at her husband and says, I'm so proud of you. Do you know what it does? It makes that heart get big. Makes that chest swell up. Makes those shoulders roll back. Yeah, my girl, she's proud of me. It's an amazing impact. Love is important to hear. I love you. I'm so thankful for you, but I'm proud of you. Does something to the man's heart that no other words will. Ladies, you're off the hook. It's time to go to the men. Husbands, whew, can anybody say, whew. anybody thankful for now we're going to bust on the husbands for a minute? I know it's not Father's Day, but we'll work on the fellas here just for a moment. Kiddos, don't think you're out of the hook either. There's a verse for you. You're on the hook in a moment. Husbands, verse 19, it says, Love your wives, Colossians 3, and do not be harsh to them. Now, contextually, you have to understand they live in a society, and Paul is speaking to a truth where a woman could be beaten by her husband and it would not be an offense or a punishable arrest. You could be as harsh as you wanted to be to a lady if they were your wife. But broader than that, Paul wants not just the don't be harsh, he wants to categorize love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. Love them. So what does that look like? Go back to Ephesians. Here's where we're complimenting each other. He doesn't specify here in Colossians, but he does specify in Ephesians 5. Husbands, how do you love your wife? How do you love them with the love they desperately want so that they will respond with the respect you so desperately need? How does it work? This is how it works. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Verse 28, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Verse 33, same chapter. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Men, do you want to know how to love your wives? Look to that cross. You want your instructions, brothers? 
Look to Jesus. If you want to know how to love your wives, you've got to look to the one who gave himself up for all of us. You say, well, Jesus wasn't married. That's right. His bride was the believers that were going to come. And what he did for all of us in dying on the cross, we as husbands must look to our wives and say, I'm willing to do the same. Now, it's more than just taking a bullet for them, or pushing them out of the way of an oncoming bus. It's not just saving their life. It's sacrificing yours for their benefit. One of my students, he was dating a young lady for a couple years, and he came to my front porch. He wanted to talk guy. You know, guys need to talk guy sometime. And he said, Dr. G, what's the hardest part about being married? I think he was considering proposing to this young lady. And at that point, Jennifer and I had only been married for about 12 years, and still trying to understand what that meant. And without really thinking about it, my answer was this. The hardest part of being married is the continual self-sacrifice of putting her needs, her wants, her desires above my own. And he laughed and he thought, he said, dang, I thought that's what it was. Don't mean to sound like a marriage expert. I'm totally not. But I do have a marriage expert that I can look to, and his name's Jesus Christ. If I want to know how to love my wife, I just have to look at how Jesus loved the church. And when he willingly gave up his life, that's my call as a husband. I got to willingly give up my life for the person that God has called to be my wife. Love her as Christ loves the church. Children, he says in verse 20, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, you have a command. If you are of child age, and that can be variety, if you're still living in the house, if you're still on their insurance, <laughs> if they're covering your cell phone bill, this applies. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I, I can remember one afternoon I came home from work, and uh, our little boy Isaac was just a little guy. I mean, little toddler guy. And he was in the bath, just getting his bath. Jennifer was giving him his bath. And I walked in, and uh, she said, come in here, come here. Uh, Isaac wants to tell you something. I said, okay. So I walk in, and she said, Isaac, do you want to tell Daddy the verse you memorized today? And he, he couldn't have been older than three. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he splashed around the water, you know. He said, I said, what's your verse, Bubby? Obey mommy, daddy. <laughs> and then he goes, this makes God happy. <laughs> but, oh, my wife has been doing biblical instruction with the toddler to get him to obey us. Wise motherhood right there. But he had learned Colossians 3.20. Yes, obey mommy, daddy this makes God happy, is the Jennifer Garrison paraphrase, right? But the idea is there. Children, obey your parents. This pleases the Lord. Now let me, let me just say a word to kids. There's only one occasion when you should ever choose not to obey your parents. That's when the parent's instruction is contrary to God's commands. 
And in my life as a youth pastor and as a young adult working with college-age people, sometimes the instructions of parents are in opposition to the commands of God. And in that regard, you honor your heavenly Father more than your earthly parents. But that's a rare, rare occur occurrence. The most normal occurrence is that godly parents have been given to children as a representation of godly leadership. And if you're a parent, you have a little one, an old one, you are called by God to lead them in the ways of God. Not away from God, but in the ways of God. And in that, children, no matter the age, when you receive that instruction, receive it as you would from your heavenly Father. Your motivation isn't just to please your parents or just to be a good kid or just to stay out of trouble. Your motivation is to follow God's commands through your godly parents as a way to show your obedience to the Father. Does that make sense, kids? No amen on that one. All right. He gives one more instruction, and I'm going to be as fast as I can. It's Mother's Day, and I know a lot of you have places to be. But I just can't leave verse 21 off because Paul didn't leave it off. And he says something here that I think is so, it's so much a part of our culture. Fathers, he says in verse 21, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Men, can I just say one more word? Don't provoke kids to discouragement. If you imagine your kid, no matter the age, as a five-gallon bucket full of water, your words, men, your actions, your comments, sometimes your distance, pokes a hole like a drill bit into that bucket of water and the water will start seeping out. When you say things to their mama that breaks their mother's heart, drill bit into the bucket. When you're more interested in your bass boat than their baseball game, drill bit into the bucket. when your aspirations at your job make you leave them for months at a time, drill bit into the bucket. Instead of holding that bucket, I'm encouraging you to fill it up. And the way you do that is you nourish them, you encourage them, you love them. Let me just say this, one of the ways you fill up their bucket is you remind them that your wife is not a woman they can ever speak to in a way that's not honorable. I have two wonderful sons, but every once in a while, they may want to say something to my wife that is out of turn. Oh, there's no way to get my husband dander up higher than my kids saying something to my wife. I wouldn't let any of you men speak to my wife in a derogatory way. I'm definitely not going to let a little kid living in my house speak to my wife ever. 
in a derogatory way. Yes, she may be your mama, but that is my wife. And if you were out on the street, and you were just a guy walking by, and you said something you shouldn't say, you deal with the husband. That's my girlfriend. But how many of us men in the house let disrespect to the wife come through the kids? We're basically telling them that's how you to be to women? That's how you are to the wives of other men? No, sir. No, sir. That allows them to drill a hole. That's going to empty them out. And honestly, that will make them terrible men. It will make them terrible women to let words of discouragement come up the line and not be corrected at the moment it leaves the lips. You see, you got to think through these dads. I, I don't mean to make this not about Mother's Day, but the reality is, men, we have a big calling in the home. And in our culture right now, if you look at the TV dads, they're doofuses. They're ignorant. They're self-absorbed. They're all about themselves. It is completely contrary to the biblical description of manhood in the Bible. They look like they don't pay attention. They don't have any respect for themselves. <laughs> Cavemen! Now, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping out of the sermon text here because I want to make a point. If you look to the world for what manhood is, you're going to see boyhood. Now, you look to the Word to see what manhood is, you're going to see men. Men that women want to be around. Tell you, there's nothing more unattractive to a woman than a doofus man. But that's what our culture is elevating right now. Am, am I wrong? Y'all notice, I, I've gone from preaching to meddling here. I'm just, I'm getting in my own little world here. But the reality is, I don't see anybody on television, anybody that I would say, that's what a godly man should represent. We used to have a few of these, but for some reason our culture has said, manhood is about boyhood. Get what you want, have what you want, go to Vegas, nothing's remembered in Vegas. Buy what you want, don't provide for your family, make sure it's all about your needs, your toys. I am sick and tired of that kind of masculinity. What I want to see is men that look like Jesus. And Jesus died for his bride. I want to see men who stand up with courage and say, I will be about the things of the Lord. And that means I'm going to build up my home. Brothers, anybody interested in making this Mother's Day a little bit more about Father's Day? Husbands, fathers, brothers. Don't poke holes in the lives of your kids. Fill them up. Let me leave you with this thought. And it's a thought that I try to use in my own life. What if you got a letter next week and it was from heaven and the letter said, Dear Shane, dear your name. Got a special announcement to say. Jesus is moving in your house for the next year. You're going to have a guest. He's going to sleep on the couch, maybe in the basement. If you've got a spare room, maybe he'll take it. He's going to be at every meal. He's going to be with you every moment. He's going to go to ball games with you. 
It's going to be at the house in the evening, in the morning. Jesus is coming to live at your house for the next year. Sign God. Boy, what, what would you do if you got that letter? Some of you might vacuum. <laughs> might change the sheets, you know. Wipe down the sink. Put a few groceries in the fridge, maybe. Oh, but what would Jesus like to eat, you know? Uh, olives, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Middle Eastern food, I don't know what you do. Some of you might take down some things. Oh, man, Jesus is coming. I'm going to have to clean out the DVD collection. We don't, we, don't, we don't want Jesus seeing all these R-rated movies. You might be on best behavior when Jesus arrived in home. Your language might change. Your attitude might change. For a whole year, you might be the happiest Christian family because Jesus was living in your house. Kids would be behaved. Mom and dad would never argue. Friends, Jesus is living in your home. If he lives in your heart, he lives in your home. What kind of home is Jesus living in? Let's pray together. Father, I ask.